Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Colleen, as always, great to be with you once again. It's good to be here again with you too, Father. And today we're going to be talking about how pro-lifers can respond to the hard cases. Other, like these are the cases like rape and incest or when a child has disabilities or when the mother's life is threatened by a pregnancy. How can pro-lifers respond to those situations in a way that affirms both the life of the child but also helps the mother? So I think if we just jump right into that today, Father, um, let's just start by talking about rape and incest, that situation, how pro-lifers can respond. And to our listeners, if you're interested in this conversation, you want to learn more on it, we do have an ebook releasing on the topic. So I'll link that in the description. And that has some great information and then more resources for you to go to if you're interested in doing further research. So anyway, so let's jump right in with sure. how do we respond to rape? Well, well, first of all, you know, as we discussed many times before, Colleen, abortion is never the answer. That's the first thing in every approach to each of these situations, because what happens is they people try to draw us into the circumstance, into the situation that is very real. There are real circumstances that are affecting life, and uh, life can be sometimes very difficult and can be somewhat messy because of the actions of either the individual or sometimes actions of others. And so when we're talking about rape and incest, obviously we're speaking about the actions of another person that's imposed themselves on another person. In this case, a man imposing himself in an act of rape or a relative in an act of rape uh, or incest. Uh, And so the circumstances are very real. A person's faced now with a pregnancy that they didn't desire, uh, a situation that unfolded that they didn't give permission for. Uh, There was no freedom in their act of, of, of giving permission for this to occur. And so now the consequence, not only of the trauma, the psychological difficulties and everything that goes with it, but also the very fact that now she is with child. And so what do we do? So that's why the first answer is always, the first statement is always important. Abortion is not the answer. So the circumstance is what we have to respond to. And so the way to respond is, first of all, is, you know, to be supportive of the person in need, not supportive of their decision for abortion, but supportive of their need. Their need is very real. And what they're feeling, the emotion, the uh, the psychological trauma, the physical trauma is very real. And and sometimes it's uh, very difficult for them even to articulate. And so, but the immediate response is, you know, is toward the child in, in so many cases, not only from the individual that has been raped or a situation of incest, but family, friends, uh, society as a whole, you know, aims their, their aggression here at the child, the child which is an innocent victim as well as she is. And so we have to turn the attention to the innocence of the child while at the same time ministering, caring for her and assuring her that she's not alone, that, that, that we are there with her, that we'll find resources to help her, and that there are other ways of approaching this, this circumstance, this situation. And so that's the first thing to do is, again, speak directly to it. Do not get into the narrative. Do not allow, and if you're articulating in these moments, to allow the child to be what becomes uh, the attention, if you will, in the sense of the act of, uh, you know, uh, the fault. The child is not at fault here. The child did nothing wrong. The child, as I mentioned, is the victim as well. And so, and both lives need to be served here. Her life needs to be assisted and served, and the child's life needs to be served. And I think it also is pretty clear that abortion isn't going to actually help her in the long run. People say that it will, but if you actually look at it, there's going to be regret. There's going to be PTSD or 
post-abortive stress syndrome, which is basically PTSD. They're going to have all of these other repercussions that are just going to intensify that pain. It seems like rather than actually like, quote, heal it, which is what pro-abortion people say. Exactly. And in reality, when you look at the stories, and which are very positive, of course, and that's to look at, you know, uh, women, mothers who have chosen, you know, to receive life, to welcome life. The circumstances, by no means the word ideal, you know, and very difficult, and the journey, very difficult. But when you listen to the stories of women who received, welcomed, and gave birth to their children, sometimes, quote, keeping, in quote, keeping their child, sometimes giving their child up for adoption, both serving life. And you hear the stories of gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness, obviously not thankful for how, but the thankfulness for the gift that the child is and thankfulness for what the child brings. And also, so that's not talked about enough, is the healing the child brings. You know, the child is so innocent, so vulnerable, and, and so in need. And it's a chance in many ways when you hear how women said it was a chance for them to find healing through the love of their child and the care for their child and, 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 to, and to watch their child grow. And they could not imagine not having this child in their life. And so that's what's important now. In those moments, you know, Colleen, when someone's under stress and very in a difficult, it's very hard to get those kinds of messages through. But what's so beautiful, there's so many uh, charitable works out there and so many apostolic works out now that are really focused in this specific area. And I'm, I know a number of, of women in pro-life movement who themselves were conceived in an act of rape or incest. I know them personally, and they're very active in the pro-life movement and and very beautiful uh, and very uh, professional women, uh, married with their own family now uh, from uh, from the marriages. And it's so beautiful to see and to hear them tell the story and to hear them, you know, uh, relate, you know, all of it, you know, the the ugliness of it, the, the healing part of it, and the moving forward. And some you know, welcomed their child and, and kept their child, and uh, and others have lovingly placed their child up for adoption, knowing that they were placed in better environments because they were so young at the time. They couldn't raise the child. So that's important, you know, and, and that's what we have to do. Very similar, Colleen, in our pregnancy uh, care uh, uh, centers is finding a way to enter into a conversation in that decision-making moment. And so that's what's so beautiful about, you know, people becoming aware you know, of how to articulate. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. And what the ebook is trying to do is trying to address that and help people to have a language in how to approach the subject um, and not allow the narrative to control the conversation. Because we are dealing with human life. We're dealing with an innocent human life. We're dealing with two people that need to be served, two people in need, and both have very distinctive needs in this given moment. And those needs can be met. And, and as you said, very true, when you hear the difficulties of the long-term consequences. So whether a, a person chooses, you know, uh, thinking that it's the answer, that abortion is going to resolve this issue, and those who choose abortion for other means, other reasons, uh, the end result is the same. The, the scars, the wounds, the psychological problems, you know, all the very dynamics that they thought would be resolved, quote-unquote, by an abortion did not resolve their issues. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so moving on to the next part, then, how can we respond to people that think that abortion should be allowed for fetal abnormalities? Because I know that's a big one when it comes to incest, as people will say, oh, well, the child will have, they might have like fetal issues because right. it was within the family. So that kind of falls under this. But then also other things like trisomy 18 or Down syndrome right. or 
other quote unquote issues that, I mean, they are issues, but they don't obviously detract from the value of a human life. But how do we respond to those situations? And what you just said, that's, that's all again, the starting <laughs> point, you know, that whether a person at their stage of life, early development, whether they are in a particular situation of a genetic abnormality or some issue that is happening within the womb uh, that, that is uh, unfolding. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, the dignity of this little life, this life does not change. And the responsibility of serving both lives, again, remains. So it's always important to keep this, this basic principle running through each way we face each of these situations. As we said in the very beginning, Abortion is never the answer. It is never justifiable. So there are circumstances that that impact life. And so we have to address the circumstance. So in this situation, we're dealing with a child that has been diagnosed within the womb with some type of maybe a, a genetic abnormality, a physical abnormality, whatever may be happening. But the dignity in the life of the child does not change. And so there is great technology today in, in medicine being able to address some of these issues within the womb and resolve some of those concerns that are there. For those situations that are not able to be addressed directly, you know, within the womb, uh, then we have to keep the same language. You know, that if, even if uh, we had a staff member here, Colleen, uh, that had a grandchild, granddaughter, and when the mother, the son and the daughter-in-law uh, were pregnant with this particular child. I forget how many children they they had at the time, and you know, we're, uh, and that's, that's why I know the number. But in a sense, the the doctor there was a genetic uh, abnormality that was very clear, very discernible. Uh, uh, you know, uh, from all the testing, everything was pointed in that direction that the child would not survive after birth. And so the and so obviously, tragically, the doctors were pushing the young couple toward an abortion. A termination of the pregnancy, as they would like to say in the terminology. And of course, the couple said, absolutely not. The reality of, of our child's disability, you know, does not change our love, does not change the dignity of our child. This is still our child, and we will welcome our child. And whether our child, you know, uh, is, lives a minute, a half hour, a day, whatever time, she will be welcomed and loved and held and know that she was loved. And this is the response we must give. And, and that is, the, the life is a gift. It's precious, always, always a value that must be protected. And so the narrative is we hear, we, well, we don't want them to suffer. Or we, you know, uh, you know we, we, why don't you can, quote, start over, have another. Like we're talking about, you know, getting a cup of coffee, you know, and went cold. Well, let me just dispose of the coffee and just get a new cup of coffee. Well, we're talking about a human being, not a cup of coffee. We're, we're not talking about a thing. We're talking about someone. Mm-hmm. And so we have to really, again, address the circumstance and, and always keep the child's dignity and life and uniqueness and irreplaceability in front of the conversation and be there for the couple or the woman who may be a, s- a single mother in this situation. How, what is her need? How can we res- uh, cannot resolve the diagnosis? In some cases, let's also be honest, the diagnosis could be wrong. We've seen that happen also. So here we have to look at all of it, and, but the, the starting point is that abortion is never the answer to the situation. The answer is welcome the child, love the child. And as we know from many, many stories with children born with disabilities or or difficulties of life, 
are precious, wonderful, you know, uh, human beings, and they bring such a life to a family. They bring such an opportunity to a family. And and as we've heard many stories, you know, about, you know, we had our daughter for six years, but she changed our lives so much. She brought such joy. Our son lived to be, you know, 15. I have an uncle, you know, that that's now in his late 70s, that in today's climate, my grandmother, grandfather, would have been probably very much pressured, you know, to have an abortion. And yet this wonderful man has traveled around with uh, the world. He has sung for different presidents of the United States, personally, in his cohort. He has done things I will never do. Wow. And, and his contribution to life is remarkable and wonderful. And it taught our family how to love, how to care, how to be patient, how to be tender, how to be concerned about another human being. There's so much for us to learn and not be afraid of. And, and I think that really is the issue, Colleen, for so many, it's fear. And, and especially when you hear your doctor or your caregiver immediately push, it just, it, it, it pushes fear. And instead of, we're gonna be here for you. Well, there's you no know. hope in it. Right. It's just saying, oh, there's this problem and this is a solution when it's not a solution. And sometimes it, it, it is like a physical problem, but I think really so often we impose an idea of what we think suffering is onto those people. Like, right. I know for a bunch of people have Down syndrome and they're so happy. Like we take our idea of, oh, I wouldn't want to go through that. And we impose it on them when you don't know what they want. You don't know how happy they're going to be. They're probably happier than I am, honestly, or <laughs> you or many people. If you look at the averages of people with Down syndrome that are happy versus the national average, I'm pretty sure that one's higher. So it's so easy to impose this idea of what we think suffering is onto them exactly. when we and, don't and know. And the very fact that, we, that people you know, hear from the narrative of a very secular world it's an inconvenience, you know. Yeah. And again, when you when we have that mindset, that framework, it does affect, you know, decision making. And that's why it's important what you just said. And, and that is, we have to see the beauty, the wonder, the uniqueness that this wonderful individual brings to our family, to our culture, to our society. And uh, I remember uh, in an argument that occurred uh, in Europe uh, when uh, there was a, a movement to, um, to legalize euthanasia, mm -hmm. particularly toward you know, those diagnosed with a disability. And I remember this beautiful young Down syndrome girl gets up and she, she looks at the parliamentarians and says, what have I done to you? And so why are you discriminating against me? And it, because this is what we're talking about. Yeah. Ultimately, it's an act of discrimination. We're discriminating against a person with a disability. And by also not looking at the human person as an end in themselves, mm -hmm. not a means to an end. Well, and it's a statement on value of life too, which exactly. is totally not fair. Exactly. It's saying this person is worthwhile because of what they can accomplish or what they can Correct. do. Right. And this person's not. So by that logic, like, where does it stop? Right. You could say, I'm not Michelangelo, I can't produce his art, so why right. should I be here? That's exactly. not, we should never judge people like exactly. that. Exactly, a quality of life definition, yeah. which is always tragic. And we see that toward the end of life issues. You know, yeah. That's another subject for another day, but it applies the same. It's the same framework, it's the same mentality at work. So I, I really believe from, you know, from a pastoral point in the sense of how does a pro-lifer enter into this? Pro-lifer always enters in with the mindset that every life is precious, mm -hmm. no exception to the rule. And that the circumstance that a person, a couple, or a single mother may be facing is a real situation. And ours is always to say, here I am. What can I do to be of help to you? Or where can I, I can find resources for you. Or I know resources that can be of help to you. You know, it's a matter of saying you're not alone. 
because that's the biggest fear is, is being alone. And for a couple to think, you know, that may, may already have a couple of children and now they're faced with a, a possibility of a child that will be very dependent upon them. It can be very daunting, very frightening. And again, this is where we have to enter in. And I just return, not comparing, but return to my own grandparents, you know, with, with my uncle. You know, he was uh, number five, if I remember correctly, out of the large family. Uh, and so, you know, it had to be daunting. You know, you're already raising a young family, and now this beautiful child comes, and it requires more attention, more time. But this is what teaches a family, as you said, value, yeah. beauty, sacrifice, and what, what real suffering really means and that we do, there is suffering. We're not gonna deny the fact that there is suffering, you know, on different levels. You know, there can be physical suffering, but that's really not what we're talking about here directly, as much as we're talking about the, 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 the suffering of inconvenience, of time, of effort, of resource that's gonna be required here. Uh, but I go back to the, our staff member, you know, and uh, reminded me when, uh, because we had this conversation just recently, you know, how, how privileged it was to witness the love of, of his son and daughter-in-law, and how they welcomed this beautiful child, and knowing, and I have a very, I'm another friends of my relatives, their first, second cousins, and I had prayed for them uh, to conceive. They were having difficulties to conceive, and so uh, I, I've been praying for them. And so they called with great joy, and uh, and uh, and a uh, little boy. Eventually, they find out a little boy, and uh, he, after birth, there was nothing wrong. Quote that they knew before, but right before birth, they 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 diagnosed something was wrong, and he lived an hour. And I have pictures in my office, actually, of them holding the little boy, bringing him home. This is their second child with his sister there. And beautiful picture of the family and this little boy smiling. And he died, you know, in their arms, loved by a family. That's the way I would love to go, <laughs> you know. So I think we just need to, to, to really help people to see beyond that one moment, beyond what that fear may involve. And in the reality that will be there, but to know that there's more to the story. Mm -hmm. There's so much more. And of course, to uphold that there is never, ever an exception to the rule. Every life must be protected. There is never a justification to take the life of an innocent person, mm -hmm. an unborn child. So that's the part we got to keep pushing and keep articulating and, and then address the circumstance, address that issue. So whether it be as we began with, with an, inc an act of in incest or an act of rape, or here we're dealing with you know children that have been diagnosed with some type of uh, difficulty uh, in the womb, uh, and or and, and that that a young couple or a couple are now faced with. So what do you do in situations where the life of the mother is threatened by a pregnancy, be it preeclampsia or infected uterus or a situation like that how do you respond to that as a pro-lifer in such a way that if like will help the mother in whatever she needs but at the same time affirm the life and the value of her child so it's going to sound like a broken record colleen but it, it, it's back to the same principle there are two lives to be served the life of the mother and the life of a child and both are equal one life is not more valuable than the other. So that's always the part to start with. Mm -hmm. And so that's the part we enter into. So the question is, what is the issue at, at, at hand? So I, I brought with me an example because uh, okay. I thought maybe it could be helpful. And I'm going to use, you know, the difficulty of a diagnosis, let's say, of, of, a, of a mother 
with obviously with child, and during the pregnancy, she's diagnosed, let's say, with uterine cancer. Something has happened that was not there in the very beginning of her pregnancy, mm-hmm. but through the pregnancy, something happens, and she has this diagnosis. So it's called the principle of double effect, which we don't have time to really get into great detail, but we do in, in the ebook, and we have other places and resources that can help people in this. But And I think we've had stuff about it on the show before as well. We have. Too. We did a yeah. whole podcast actually <laughs> on this issue. But yeah. what we want to do is we're addressing what is the issue. So the issue is not the child. The issue is not the mother. The issue is the cancer. Mm-hmm. And so obviously it is the cancer that we must address. It is where our attention should be placed. And so we must recognize we're serving two lives because both the life of the mother and the life of the child are at risk, that if this cancer were allowed to continue, it would be an aggressive uh, aggression against both lives. So from anyone working in healthcare, including a mother, a dad, the family, is what are our options in the sense of how do we address the cancer? What do we do? And there could be a way to mitigate, depends on, for example, let's say the doctor says, that the cancer is non-treatable as long as she is with child. So what do we do in that situation? So the first question could be, Colleen, is let's ask a question. How far along is the child in its development? Mm -hmm. Are we nearing a place of viability? And we've come a long way in our medical technology to be able to address this and to be able to, to support life and to assist life, you know, uh, in this kind of situation. And so let's just say that in this particular situation that that the the baby is not near viability and that there is nothing we could do. The the cancer is very aggressive and it's it's continuing to to grow rapidly. So we know that we can't even attempt anything to mitigate it. Mm -hmm. And so what do we, we do? We have to address the cancer. And so using the principle of double effect, we have an intention and, an, and then we have a foreseeable consequence. Mm-hmm. So we know that if we remove the uterus, all right? Now, by removing the uterus, we're still serving both lives, right? So we, the attention is the cancer. So if we don't address the cancer, both mother and child will die. That's unacceptable. So we are addressing our intention, our act, the object that's chosen here is the, uter- the, the cancerous uterus. And so we have a, we have a, a foreseeable re- a consequence, though. We know that if we remove the uterus, that the child can't survive. But the child is, we're not addressing our attack, if you will, against the child. We're attacking the cancer. We're attacking the diseased organ. And we know, unfortunately, that there is going to be a, a, a foreseeable consequence of that. And either way, the child would die also. It's not like... Right. Since there's no way to treat the cancerous uterus, then either way the child would die, and you're not directly attacking the child, you're just removing. It's not an abortion. You're not terminating the pregnancy. You are directly addressing the cancer itself. That is the object that has been chosen. And it's very important because, you know, when people say, well, you, you know, you quote, you Catholics, and quote, you know, uh, you know, uh, we'll just let the mother die. That's false. Absolutely false. Mm -hmm. And so at the same time, we don't, you know, uh, advocate. You know, that there is, you know, just abortion is the answer. There's never a justification for abortion. This would not be an abortion. And so, and that's why it's important, you know, for families to pause. You know, when they hear news of this nature, very traumatic, I can only imagine what it feels like in that given moment, pause. Mm -hmm. Make no decision. Decision is you need to talk to someone. 
You know, I get consults a, a, a lot of times now uh, on these issues and people are just asking questions because all they hear is from their healthcare provider, the termination language. They don't hear, you know, how to address it. I mean, because that's the, that's the immediate answer in, in so many cases, sadly. Mm-hmm. Let's terminate the pregnancy and we'll try again. Now, obviously, if we remove the uterus, you know, she cannot be conceived again. But that's that, that, that another circumstance of what I'm talking about. So by pausing, it allows the couple, you know, to ask very important questions. You know, is there a moral path forward? Is there a means forward that respects life of both child and mother, that our intention and the object chosen is not intrinsically evil? To, to take the life of a child through an act of aggression in this nature is an intrinsic evil. You cannot for abortion. assault for abortion. Yeah. Cannot assault the child, you know? And so this is why it's important, you know, to speak to people in these kinds of matters and to help healthcare workers too. You know, I've been in many situations where even healthcare workers, you know, are, uh, are looking for, you know, a path forward. How? Because there are so many circumstances in life that happen that are not textbook cases. And, and so they've got to look at how the principle applies. And in that case, the removing of a cancerous uterus would be the last resort. Right. Like if there is some any possible way Absolutely. of dealing with it. Absolutely. Otherwise, that would allow the child to live and be able to deal with the cancer. That would exactly. be done first. And exactly. this was only if there's absolutely no other option. Oh, thank you for saying that. And it's very important because it really needs to be a proportionate response. Mm-hmm. And so and that's why you must you know, strive to uh, uh, employ other means, other methods forward. You know, and, and this would be, you know, obviously a last resort. Mm-hmm. And so but it's good for people to be familiar with it. And so it's called the principle of double effect. It would be good, in, you know, as people, uh, you know, approach the, our ebook and look at our website and look at some of the links and the resources to familiarize themselves with this. Because the principle of double effect not only applies at the beginning yeah. of life, you know, it applies through all of life. That's and, what I was going to point out, is yeah. that it applies to many different moral situations, exactly. not only right. ones concerning and you'll see abortion. And you'll see it at the end of life, especially, mm-hmm. you know, when you're dealing with people with terminal illnesses or pain management or, you know, just facing difficulties that come with growing old or facing diseases. So there are moral means forward and a moral path forward that always respects life, the mm-hmm. dignity of the human person, which goes back to the beginning, which is what we started with. And uh, again, if we keep that, that, that little phrase just working in our minds always, Colleen, then we know we will respond in an appropriate manner. And I just think that a lot of times because of the circumstances, the emotions that are attached with it, the fears that come along with it, and a lot of unknowns, and sadly because some people are very aggressive in their mindset of pushing abortion as quote unquote an answer to the dilemma, that people just think that is the answer, that is the path forward. And we're saying, no, it's not. It's never a path forward. It is never a means that we have to choose. And that if we pause and just pause, take a breath, and then think it through, and then find people like ourselves and many other great pro-life people out there mm-hmm. in healthcare, working in the pro-life movement. There's so many wonderful people out there who have been down these pathways, you know, who can share their stories, share their experience, have the skills, have the resources that are available to people. And that's what the pause means, is n- not to react. Mm-hmm. Pause. And then find the help that they need. This is what I love about uh, our, our work and our, our service to life. It really is. It's what a blessing to be able to be a part of people's lives in these kinds of moments. 
And it's so beautiful that the church has offered guidance for these situations too. It's not just like, we're not just thrown out there wondering what to do and making the best decisions we can. There's things like the principle of double effect, which lays out specific things that you can look at and say, okay, would this treatment fall under the principle of double effect? Is there something else we can do? We have guidance for it. And I know that um, when I did, I did some of the research for the ebook and I I looked at the NCBC a lot Mm because they have a lot of really good resources. So the National Council Bioethics Center. (laughs) (laughs) Specify what it is. Yeah, (laughs) I know because one thing I thought was really interesting was they were talking about um, delivering a child, whether it's pre-viable or viable and how if you're delivering a child that's not yet viable, that is a direct attack on the child. Correct. But a lot of things that, a lot of circumstances, I guess, or diseases, not diseases, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. A lot of the circumstances that would come up that would require delivery of a child early can be held off until the child's right. viable. Right. And so you treat it with medication until right. I think it's around 24 weeks. And then right. once the child can be delivered and survive with a degree of a pretty high percentage of survival, right. then you can deliver the child and right. early so that you can treat the other underlying exactly, condition. Colleen. I think it's important because, again, why? We still have the same principle. There are two mm-hmm. lives here. Yeah. And both have to be served. And that's why I keep playing that record over, you know, because it's important to remember both lives have to be served. So I cannot act on one's behalf and dis- disregard the other life. Mm-hmm. I have to treat and all actions serve both. So any act that is chosen has to be weighed through both those realities, her life and the child's life. And so this is what's so important. And so, so if I, you know, uh, if I place the child's life in great harm, all right. So this is what you're talking about. So this is why it's important, you know, to to lead people, you know, to to keep reading, learning, so they can be familiar with how to approach such such a situation. Mm-hmm. And and the realization is is that you know we don't want uh, the best place for a child to grow and develop is in his or her mother's womb. Yes. That is the place. And it's it's a safe place. And it's a place under normal circumstances that truly is the best place for this child to grow and to mature, to move toward being born. And But there are those circumstances where things occur, accidents occur, situations occur, where that ideal development of time is not available. How do we address it? And how do we serve both lives? And so... Again, the technology, I want to just say, I mean, again, what a blessing today to have the technology in medicine that we have that continues to advance in this regard. I mean, 10 years ago, we would not be having a question of when viability at 24, 22, 23, 25 weeks. It had been much earlier. And the more that we go forward... Much later. I'm sorry, yeah, much later, <laughs> backwards. We, in other words, we, would have been, we wouldn't be at this stage where yeah. we can say, oh, at 23, 24 weeks, we can actually deliver a child uh, early and be able to care for this child, and this child would survive. Or let very, have a high likelihood of survival. Right. Yeah. And so, but prior to that, you know, it had been much later. But as the technology continues to improve, our understanding of the human person continues to grow, we'll be able to address even, you know, uh, children in, you know, earlier stages of development. And I'm confident I've seen literature on this. So I know it's out there. We just need time. So, but right now we know where we are. We know what our limits are and we know the principles. And if we apply the principles, know our limitations, then our decisions, you know, and that's what I also love to, and just let me pause there. It's, it is a case by case. The principles remain the same, mm-hmm. always. They don't change. But each case, that's why you have to look at each case mm-hmm. and evaluate each case, understand their that dilemma, mm-hmm. and be able then to respond through those principles 
to that situation. It's like there's some things that are always going to be wrong and some things that are always going to be right, right. But then how those specific, um, like the principles apply. Correct. Like So like the principle of double effect applies to a specific situation is going to vary case by case. Correct. So abortion is an intrinsic evil. Yes. Always wrong. Always, <laughs> always wrong. Can never be chosen. So it goes back to our beginning. So with that understanding, then that's not my option. So in the situations that we've been talking about, so what's what else can I do, doctor? What are my other options? And that's where the, that's where the conversation has to be. And that's why back to the support. And what's unfortunate, Colleen, in the mindset of our country today and so much of the Western world, I would say the whole world, but especially in the Western world, is abortion is the path forward. It solves the problem. And it's not wrong. And so this is the this is what we're up against. And because this is what people hear, this is how, sadly, many in healthcare approach. This is how many families even respond to their to their daughters and their sons in situations like that's the first thing out of their mind, out of their mouth. This is the challenge before us as pro-lifers. I think you know we have to address what we're doing and what the purpose of our ebook is: education, formation. But I would also say that for all of us in our movement is to continue to educate people. You know, uh, and because we have to change minds and hearts. And we have to eradicate from people's minds, Colleen, that abortion is an answer. Never is it an answer. We have to eradicate that. And then once we achieve that end, then we can achieve the goals that we've been advancing. So, Well, that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk about these on the show, because those situations are all so charged with emotion that I think pro-lifers sometimes get like the deer in the headlights of like, oh, well, I know that abortion's wrong, but this is a case of rape. What do I do? Like, this is a emotional situation. What do I say? And that's why I really wanted to talk about it so that there is a guidance for pro-lifers being able to respond either to the argument or to specific situations where they encounter it. Because there's so much emotion that you need some kind of facts to come back onto, some kind of principles to be able to rely on so you're not just... And it's reasonable. It's rational. And it's not based on an emotion. Our emotion is our empathy our sympathy, our, mm-hmm. our, our, our concern for other human beings. And we want what is good for our neighbor. We, we want that. And that's where we start. And so we can empathize. We can have sympathy for their situation. But the answer is never the assault on the innocent human life of the child. Sympathy for both situations, both the mother and the child. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and that's, that's, I think, our challenge in our culture. Is that, and that's what John Paul talked about in Evangelium Vitae. That's what we hear Pope Francis talking about today with regard to neighbor. And we need to really, who is my neighbor? Yeah. It's everyone. And, and our most vulnerable neighbor is the unborn child yeah. and our elderly and our handicapped and our disabled and so forth. But we know that our most weakest and most vulnerable is one who cannot defend themselves from anyone, and that is the unborn. So that's my neighbor. So this is why it's important for us to to keep, as pro-lifers, keep moving forward. Don't be in, afraid of the circumstances and the difficulties. Don't be afraid of of, of the of what we call, and they use called hard cases. They're, they're cases that are like, uh, they deal with human beings. Mm-hmm. And that's where our start is. And, you know, and if we look at every opportunity is to support life, then the hard case disappears. Yeah. Now what it is, is a person in need. What can I do to help? How can I be there for you? What can we do to help you? That's, that needs to be the response. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm hoping, and we have, we, we've come a long way in that. We really have, yeah. really have. And I'm very, very proud of our movement and very proud of uh, you know, the stance that we've taken in this regard. And I look forward you know, to what moves forward. The challenges are still there. 
because life is filled with difficulties and it can be somewhat messy. And so we're going to continue to have this. But by forming people, educating people, Colleen, guiding them and, and giving them the means to be able to respond, we will continue to whittle more and more on this and get it down where it becomes so so not even a thought, you know, to people anymore. That, you know, this is my, like that young couple. This is our baby. What our baby's little condition, medical condition, difficulty doesn't change the fact. This is our child. Yeah. And we will love <clears throat> and we will love this child and care mm-hmm. for this child, no matter what. That has to be the response. Yeah. That's what we gotta work on. Well, thank you so much, Father. And to all of our listeners, I will link the uh ebook in the tech in the description so that you can go and download that if you're interested. And as always, please like, follow, and subscribe on our audio platforms. Please follow and share with your friends. If you have any ideas for future topics for our podcast, please drop them in the comments. I always love to hear what people have to think about that. Um, And keep on living the culture of life. God bless. Mm